0: Welcome to another episode of the MTIIS podcast, where it's my job to explore the unique world of music education in the international school context to help you make connections in what can sometimes be quite an isolated existence thank you to everyone who has signed up to the uh, three things newsletter is what I'm calling it, which I hope you're finding to be a welcome addition to your already cluttered inboxes. Um, it's basically a newsletter with three things. It's easy to subscribe, easy to cancel. So jump over to mtis.co and you'll find the sign up there. Plus we've been launching a bunch of goodies on the website lately, including some articles, uh, some previous podcast show notes, and, some exciting new professional learning opportunities and these are highly curated experiences with experts in our field who have a deep understanding about context you may even recognize some of them as previous guests on the show so do check it out okay so on to today's episode i'm excited today to be speaking with tina arenas Tina is an early childhood and elementary school music educator, currently working at the American School of Dubai. She's also the founder of Pop Up For Play, which is described as, and I like this description, an organization that celebrates the playful spirit in all of us and honors play-based and child-centered learning in music education. We can explore that a little bit today. Now, I first met Tina when I attended one of her workshops and I absolutely loved it. So I knew I needed to get Tina on the show to share her world and her experience with you all. So, Tina, thanks so much for joining me on the show.
1: Uh, Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here.
0: So, Tina, can you start off as I like to kind of normally do with my guests by telling us a bit about your background as a musician and as a music educator?
1: Uh, Sure. So um, I was born and raised in the state of Oklahoma in the United States. and in fourth grade, I was I was born in Oklahoma City, and in fourth grade, I moved to a really small town called Wagner. And uh, in fifth grade, I joined band and learned how to play the trumpet. So that's kind of my first uh, beginnings of formal music instruction, um, besides, you know, singing and dancing um, in my bedroom. Uh, that's kind of my first formal instruction to uh, music. And so fast forward through middle school and high school, being in band and playing trumpet became so much a part of my life that I ended up getting my bachelor's and master's in music education. And through those experiences, I performed in wind ensemble and orchestra, jazz band, um, played in brass quintets. I also enjoyed performing in choir And uh, I loved being in uh, the choral ensembles for musicals and opera. So I just really loved everything about uh, music. And so back in my university days, I thought, you know, I'm going to be a high school band director. And at that, I was going to be like the best woman band director, you know, because at that time, it was really heavily um, saturated with You know, male band directors. So I think that really inspired me, you know, to, um, I don't know, be more of a representative in that field. But through one of my practicum classes, I got to observe an elementary music class. And um, I always tell this story where I, I saw like a second or third grade class, and they were like singing and crawling around like cats, and there was lots of drama involved, and they were having so much fun. And with my personality, I, I just looked at that and I thought okay, that's actually what I meant to do.
0: <laughs> <All right. That's laughs>
1: so cool. yeah, yeah. So like my junior, I guess about my junior year um, in university, I kind of switched from, you know, imagining myself as a conductor slash band director to elementary uh, general music educator. So I kind of got bit by that bug and never looked back and really went full force into that area. And at the end of my university studies, uh, I did a semester of study abroad in Milan. And it was there. I was continuing my trumpet playing, of course, um, because that was my primary instrument. So had the opportunity to study privately there with one of the Um, orchestral players. And he got me set up with an audition to play in a brass band there. So you know, it's, it's such a privilege to look back, you know, uh, when you asked me about tell me about yourself as a musician, you know, you forget that part of yourself, sometimes being more in the music educator world for so long. And so, you know, all of those experiences that we have had, or presently having or will have in the future really shape us into just what kind of music educator that we can be. So after that semester abroad, I came back to the United States, um, student taught. And after I graduated, I moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area. And that's where I began my teaching. And I uh, through that, I completed my Kodai and Orff Work teacher training um, through those beginning years, and I also got really interested in performing in world music ensembles, and so I enrolled locally. Um, I wasn't in a program formally, but I was so turned on by the offerings of our local university that I took West African drumming and dance class. Uh, that's where I met my husband and uh, also took gamelan and uh, took this really interesting class, um, it was a South Indian cross-cultural class. So the professor used the traditions of that culture and but brought in like our primary instrument. So there was a mix of like traditional instruments with drum set and I was playing trumpet. And it was a really cool fusion of using your primary instrument, which you felt really comfortable on, but then learning the traditions of this culture that way. And so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of been the journey and the journey continues. But uh, yeah, that's kind of a a little bit of a, a history there.
0: Do you know if that university is still offering these courses? It sounds super interesting.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm just going to name plug. Um, It's the University of North Texas. Okay. Um, They have an incredible music program. And so anything from more Western uh, music to jazz to uh, world music, I mean, they've got it. They've got it
0: all. So We'll put that in the show notes. We might put a link to that university if people are interested in checking out what they offer. Yeah. So. That was your kind of beginnings as a musician, as you said, and as a music educator. And I like what you said about that way that sometimes we forget about our journey as a musician and how that might influence us as music educators. And that's probably a whole nother discussion we can go down, that sort of identity part about music teacher, music, you know, musician, music teacher thing. So we won't go there today, but what I'm really interested then in is you went through this kind of process of going from band program into primary or elementary, depending on how you call it, education. And I was going to ask if you ended up doing any of the sort of Kadai off training, which you mentioned you did. Such a diverse range of influences. And then here you are in Dubai. How did you get to that point? How did you get to international schooling? And what was that journey like?
1: You know, I I, I first thought of, you know, I didn't step on a plane until I was a junior in high school. You know, I came from a small town and so um I had a French teacher that talked about uh going to France and doing a summer in France and uh you know, my mom was like uh no way. <laughs> and uh so I think, you know, being from sort of a small town, I always had this desire to just see what was out there and even Though I was from a small town, I ventured off to the big cities on the weekend and tried to get as much culture and um, experiences that I could just outside of my little bubble. So I think I've just always had this desire to travel and to Experience other cultures, other ways of thinking and being. Mm. And um, so that's always been in there, that desire, you know. Like I said, my husband and I, who's also a music educator, we met in West African drum and dance class. And so we had a lot of connections. We would go to coffee shops and talk about education and worldviews and all of these things, um, kind of in our dating years. So that was always really important to us, and so we were both teaching in Texas. I had been teaching for eleven years already in public schools in in Texas, and so there was a friend of ours that had moved to Dubai to um, teach at American School of Dubai. She was a music teacher. We had taught; she and I had taught in the same district in Texas, and so. She called us up and said, hey, listen, I know you've been thinking about this. We have two elementary music teaching positions open. You have to apply. Wow. <laughs> and I, we didn't even know where Dubai was. You know, it wasn't on our radar. Um, we just kind of thought, okay, here's our chance. Like, when is that going to happen where there's two music teaching positions open. So we need to apply. So we applied, Um, of course, having that connection definitely helped, but we applied, we went through our interview process. And then, you know, here we are, this is our 11th year at the the same school. So I think it worked out.
0: Wow. (laughs) So just to clarify, you're both elementary school music teachers.
1: Yeah. So I teach the early childhood division. So I'll I teach pre-K, K1 and K2, essentially three to six year olds. And then my husband teaches grades one through five.
0: What's that like working together in the same music department? Because I know in our community, there would be a number of people that may either have a partner that's also a musician or also interested in moving somewhere where they can both find a job. But there's some interesting things that might come along with working in the same music department together, especially in a you know, in an international school, in a new country, all those kinds of things. What's it like or what's it been like for you guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say overall, definitely positive. Um, The friend that I had mentioned who you know, urged us to to come and apply, you know, we were very excited to work with her. So, you know, that team, I, I think we worked together for, gosh, I'm losing count, six years, six years together on the same team. So, That was especially fun because, you know, you're working with your friend who is essentially like your family, really, you know, Mm -hmm. when you've been friends for so long, you know, we have as far as my husband and I, we've really been able to grow and be challenged by each other. I think, I think there's this like never ending support system as well, because if you want to try something out, or if you have an idea, with the team there's just this really nice support underneath of it i think too on the flip side <laughs> you really have to work on work life balance
0: and that's not a buzzword kind of have to work on is it it's like <laughs> you really do <laughs> it's
1: like it is essential because he's much better at it than i am i think as far as chit-chatting you know, I get in the car on the way home and I want to hear everything that happened. But I think deciding for yourselves and what what's good for you and and your partnership, it's good to have that work-life balance and not bring all of the things home and and to keep work at work. And of course, you're going to have those conversations at home. But now we try to really make it about something that we're inspired by or something that is is exciting to us. Like we have um, this spring, we have our music sharings coming back where it's interactive with the parents. And so we've been really buzzing about that at work and at home. But, you know, we try not to bring home like, oh, that was such a long meeting or, you know, these sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I think overall it's been super positive. We've been able to kind of initiate things that are really also personally important to us. We're really driven by community music making. And I feel like we've really been able to make an impact with that at our
0: school. That's great. Do you have complementary kind of skills as well, do you find? Or is there a lot of overlap?
1: I think. I tend to be a little bit more extroverted. He's a bit calmer. <laughs> he's probably a little bit more detailed, you know. There's like a spreadsheet for lots of different things and I'm the big idea mm. person. What if we did this and this and this? And he's like, "Hold on, hold on. Let me let me write it down," you know. And just the fact that, you know, his specialty is percussion, um I don't really play my trumpet much anymore um I play more uh, guitar and ukulele and keyboard and things like that but um yeah I think our personalities complement each other and just the continual like bouncing off of ideas
0: I don't know if you can hear this Tina but I'm uh, yeah. for the listeners I'm in Australia and it's summer and what happens in Australia in summer is everyone loves to mow their lawn all the time can you hear the mower <laughs> in the background or is it not coming through
1: no, no, I, I can't hear it. <laughs> okay, cool. I could
0: see the guy just out my window here just going straight past. So I was expecting the listeners to hear all this moa sound. Um, so I think you've summed that up really nicely, the connection that you and Juan have and how that's all going. So thanks for sharing that. And if anyone in the community... Sure that's listening is in this situation where you're working with your spouse and you'd like to share your experience or connect with with Tina on this. I think it'd be a really nice thing you know, a discussion to to keep going because it's um, it's quite a unique situation. so yeah, this is really cool to hear. Let's talk a bit about your big vision stuff. you um, yes, you know you have all these big ideas and one of those ideas, is, I guess, around what you've been working on with this thing called pop-up for play. Can you tell us a bit more about what pop-up for play is and what those words mean, pop-up for play?
1: A couple of years ago, I went to this interactive experience at a museum, and uh, this is what inspired pop-up for play. Mm. So, we went as a family. It was like music, drama, art, all infused, and um, it was it was from a I can't remember where the company was from. I I want to say it might be Australia Polyglot Theater, hmm. and so they had come over to do this arts event with families. So it just started off with uh, these people playing music, and um, they invited us to take a ball of string. And the event was called Tangled. And so you just literally took the ball of string. There was music sort of like influencing the movement. And then also the movement was influencing the music. It was all kind of improvised by the musicians and they were interacting with us. And it's kind of hard to visualize, but you have to imagine over time, the string just building and building and kind of weaving all together. I just, I was so inspired by that experience that I thought this to me is what play and being playful. And it, this is what it's all about. Like we were totally immersed in the experience and sort of the flow of, of what we were doing. And so I thought to myself how could we educate people to remember this feeling and to like get into this feeling and to get into this experience and this mindset and, and reminding yourself that this is important. You know, I mean, even to this day, that was like, oh my gosh, seven years ago or something. I just remember it so vividly. And I have the little, you know, string hanging from my little memory board, um, because it made such an impact. So that's where the idea came. I, you know, we were driving home from that. And I said, you know, I've really been thinking about starting something that includes all of these ideas, and that helps people find this feeling. And I think it should be called pop up for play. It just kind of popped up, (laughs) pardon the pun, um, in my mind, because You know, it was something that was unexpected, but also very purposeful. Mm. Um, And it's like implementation. It was very detailed. It was very much like the the process was, I think, very purposeful. But the outcome was uh, what's going to happen. If we do this with this and include this, how is this going to, you know, we don't know the answer that's going to come out of this, but whatever it is, it's going to be amazing you know, and it's going to be from the people experiencing it, not this is what you do, you Mm. know, this is what's going to happen. So that's kind of backtracking on that, that question a little bit. I, since then I started really investigating about play and how beneficial it is um, to everybody, but specifically when, you know, teaching young children. So, for me, you know, play is all about learning. It's about play is learning. And it's it's about finding your joy and being yourself and exploring and connecting and finding new parts to yourself that you didn't really know existed. So if I'm doing a workshop with teachers um, or, or teaching students, like I want them to come away with this like newness, like, wow. I didn't know that was going to happen.
0: Kind of like the string example that you experienced that you want that yeah. for your participants your, your students or teachers, yeah.
1: Right, right. I I just want to celebrate all of that playful spirit that's inside of everybody and just to develop ways to to get that to come out, you know, cuz it's all about having first not just the experience but the mindset. Um, around that is
0: actually even more important. Could you give us an example of play maybe in the classroom setting with your students? How have you taken this concept of either the mindset or maybe a practical activity and brought that into your classroom? Do you have a good example of what you do with your students?
1: Yeah, I think overall for me, the I'm going to go kind of backtrack. And um, I always think of this quote. Um, I use it a lot and it's posted kind of everywhere in my house and at school. And this quote has kind of guided me to inspire these sorts of experiences in the classroom. So I'll just read it. It's a quote by Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist Way. And she talks about, we are ourselves creations and we in turn are meant to continue creativity by being creative ourselves. So it's a lot in that one little Mm. quote, How, (laughs) how I interpret that is a way to honor that creativity is through play and playful experiences. And so I break this in by asking a lot of questions. So instead of dictating, let's say in a lesson, now do this, now do that what would happen if we tried it this way? I wonder, I notice, I see a lot of people um, are familiar with those questions. What would happen if we said the rhythm backwards now? You know, if we're following a vocal exploration line, you know, woo, woo, woo. okay, now let's do it the other way. What if we turned it, you know, up and down? What is that going to sound like? So, really being creative with the way that you're just approaching what you're teaching instead of just expecting like ABC. Great. I did the warm up check. I did my rhythm counting check, you know, really starting to play around um, with what you expect the kids to do or what experience you want them to have. So I use this a lot in movement. I think it becomes really not a natural way to use it in movement. That's where I started being a little bit more playful. um, Because in my um, Kodai and Orff work training, I've also had a lot of movement uh, masterclass training. And what I noticed was the teachers that were so sort of masterful at getting you out of your shell and getting you to be more creative and playful they were asking the questions and they were questions like without judgment. So sort of a practical one would be, you know, if you're doing something with movement and shapes, it's like, okay, can you make a high shape? Now, can you make a low shape? Now choose high or low. What what would it look like if we made a middle shape, you know, and let them figure that out. Oh, now let's take that shape and can you connect it to a partner? Now, Is there a new shape you can make with your partner? So it's just like, boom, boom, boom. And all the while you have never told them exactly what to do. You've sort of suggested, can you do this? How can you do this? What would happen next? So that's sort of a practical way that I've infused that playfulness in class
0: seems like a real kind of curiosity approach as the teacher. It's like you're almost curious to yes. see what the students can do.
1: Right. And a lot of times the thing is, is when I've allowed that curiosity and creativity by asking those questions and leaving room in the lesson and that experience, those have been my best lessons the lessons where I've tried to dictate everything, those haven't been my best. Um, So.
0: (laughs) I remember the workshop I did with you and there must have been what, 40 adults in the room. And now that you're saying this questioning approach, it transported me immediately back because I remember you doing that. You were questioning everyone, ask them, can you make this shape? Can you move your body in that way? And as a group of adults, at first it was a bit like, oh is this you know do we answer the question do we do it do we not but i think that was just our lack of experience of play maybe that was sort of kicking in we haven't played for so long some of us that we didn't even know what to do but it didn't take long you know the questions and leaving the space for us to try that's that really worked so i can really hear that coming across do you have any other examples of what you might do to Yeah, promote play in the classroom like that.
1: I love to play around with uh, vocal exploration. Uh, So I will be really honest with you. I'm just now, I feel like confident in my singing voice. I've, I've really, I think being an instrumentalist and, you know, being trained from an early age on a wind instrument, I mean, I never had really formal vocal training, maybe like a semester in college of non vocal major lessons, you know, Um, I've always loved to sing, I've, you know, I can match pitch and harmonize and these things. But, you know, that's something that I've always been kind of judgmental um, with myself. And so I think, with students, I don't want them to feel that way. I I really want them to be um, comfortable with their voice. I want them, I want to guide them in, of course, using it in a healthy way. Um, But I want them to be comfortable, like playing around with it so that, you know, they never um, have that feeling of like, oh, you know, I can't sing. I can't hold a tune in a bucket or whatever that saying (laughs) is, you know, like, Yeah, it's just like painful to hear it when when people say that. So I think like, oh, they never really had the opportunity to just play around to feel comfortable with that. And so a lot of what I do in classes is I love playing around with vocal exploration. So if that's with the slide whistle um, moving up and down and they echo. Um, Right now we're reading the book The Squiggle. This girl finds a little squiggle on the sidewalk and it's like a piece of yarn, basically. And it turns into all these different things of of her imagination, like a dragon and a puffy cloud and a acrobat wire, you know, and so it has all these beautiful ways to explore highs and lows and contours of the voice. And then from that, we take that and um, make our own squiggle. So you can give the students a piece of yarn or whatever represents a squiggle, ribbon, rope, and then they get to create their own. So there, again, there's this like their own creation coming through. They're getting to develop their singing voice in a really playful way, a very comfortable way, safe way. And um, those are the things that I love doing. I love to play around with vocal exploration in every lesson. So um, whether that be through picture books, or um, you can even take Play-Doh and have, you know, students develop lines or play around with graphic notation, boop, 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 boop you know, and, and so they just get used to hearing their own voice. I think sometimes we're scared of it. You know, we listen to ourselves and we're like, oh, is that what I sound like? (laughs) So that's something that's really important to me for them to be comfortable with.
0: Do you think it's something that we should be incorporating this idea of play across all levels? Would you say, you know, it it works well in early years, but we should also be looking to do stuff like this with elementary, middle school, high school, secondary, whatever language we use? Yes. Mm.
1: Yes. Yes. All yes. Yes. (laughs) A hundred times. Yes. (laughs) And I say that the seriousness of it is that, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but the UN, you know, when they wrote their articles of human rights, they included the, the right to play for all human beings. Um, so this is something that everybody needs in their lives, um, to be healthy, to be a healthy human. And so one example of this is it's not musical, but it shows the power of play. Um, It's just yesterday we had our sports and field day, and uh, it's kind of a day that uh, the kids get to go through different stations and play different games from their PE class. And it's a lot of fun. I think a lot of people are familiar with this idea, I think. And so... We had one for, uh, I mean, you have to imagine pre-K kids doing their sports day. It's (laughs) it's very cute. (laughs) Um, But the PE teacher had um, such a great idea for the parents. So talking about play at all ages. So after, you know, a couple of stations or at the end um, after the students had gone through their play, Um, he had the students set to the side and the parents went through some of these sort of playful competitions and they ate it up. Yeah, I mean, you know, to see the joy come through of these parents and the stress kind of dissolve, you know, as parents, we walk around like, oh, are we doing everything right, you know, with our children and, you know, and he had them doing relay races with um like one of those exercise balls in between and you had to hold it with the group in a circle like just with your back
0: right without it dropping kind of thing exactly
1: exactly we had eye of the tiger playing you know like just (laughs) upping the energy and they they were laughing they were high-fiving tug of war you know all of that and so what a great example i know it's not a musical one but what a great example of the children to be watching the grown-ups play like yes this is a part of for for everyday life you know for all ages so um it was really fun to see my principal out there teaching the hula hoop relay game you know it's not something that we see every day so yes wholeheartedly i think even for me Like when I go exercising, I've mentioned this before to people, like I have to make it into a a game for myself. Like, I don't think many people like to go on the treadmill. So I make it into a game. You know, I call my exercise like a silly, I don't know, what have I called it before? Top 10, top 10 like rounds or I don't know, something Yeah, Silly to just get me going, you know, thirsty, 13, like, okay, after this, (laughs) I'm gonna just something silly. So yeah, we just need it in our daily lives. Because, you know, we have to be honest, like, life isn't always rainbow and sunshine, right? Mm. We're gonna have we're gonna deal with sickness, we're gonna deal with people passing on to the next life, we're gonna have these moments where it's hard, you're a water tank bust, you know, your floor is flooded, you know, so you need these playful things in your life to balance out the, the not so fun things. And I think, just kind of making it into more of a musical example, as far as like with secondary examples, I mean, I feel like the best way to start is with movement. So if you can Get your ensembles up and moving and experiencing that part of the sensory system um, that can completely change how the student, you know, comes to the ensemble instead of just, you know, tapping toe <laughs> metronome sort of grudgery feeling, you know?
0: yeah. Have you tried some of your early years and elementary style activities with secondary students?
1: I mean, I'll be honest, like I don't work with secondary students very much. I have tried it with, I mean, a long time ago I did. I used to teach at a camp where it was like mm, upper middle school, approaching high school. um, And all of those things worked, especially with like body percussion, Folk dances, they they show that excitement in the same way as like adults do when you see adults like sashaying down the line. I mean, they're such like and clapping, you know, uh, there's such joy. So that that's definitely, definitely worked. And then like with upper elementary, it's the same. I mean, I can have some unconventional ways of doing things too. Like one time I taught sort of an exploratory drum after school group. And um, I mean, we were taking the hand drums and balancing them on our head. And I mean, we were using them as sort of a movement prop and playing with that before we actually learned the piece uh, very safely. But, you know, we knew the parameters, but um, doing something with it and exploring it before the more like formal this is now. now we're going to do this pattern you know or those sorts of things so
0: yeah it's amazing I think how sometimes the the older students can love the play stuff and maybe you have to package it slightly differently but um, from what I've heard from others and from my own experience I found it to often work really well and you just sort of go for it and most people and most students just like you said with the adults they just jump at it and oftentimes they realize oh I haven't I haven't had this much fun in a long time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, and that's a good reminder for ourselves. I always think, you know, and and when I've done these sort of talks before, it's like, what advice would you give? And it's like, ask yourself this question: Have you played today? What have you done to play? If you haven't played, you know, you probably need to. <laughs> you know, it's eight p.m. You know, it's 8 p.m. What can I do, you know, to, to finish this day off playfully, you know?
0: I'm just thinking about people who are listening to this and thinking there's some great ideas or they want to know more. Are you doing more with this pop-up for play concept? Are you working with teachers? And if so, how could people work with you on this stuff?
1: Yeah, so um, just in addition to what I you know do at my sort of day-to-day job at American School of Dubai, I love working with other music teachers. You know, presenting workshops or helping them think creatively with their approach or their curriculum that they're using. So I'll continue to offer workshops um, in the fall and beyond. I'm starting to work with teachers kind of one-on-one. I'm noticing that I get a lot of questions. Hey, can you help me with this specific lesson? Or what are your ideas with this song? Or I just had a friend uh, message me the other night. Oh, I'm scared about this performance I have to do with my kindergartners, with like 150 kindergartners all together. Oh, like (laughs) what, what songs would be appropriate, you know? And so I'm starting to, kind of dive into that sort of, I guess, consulting or helping teachers with that. Because a lot of times, and I felt this for a long time and still do, um, especially with early childhood, I think people get a little scared uh, about it. I mean, when I first started teaching, I was terrified of kindergarten, terrified. (laughs) Um, I just they were too little and like too much for me. And now, you know, I've been really focused on that age group for the past 11 years. And I call them my seniors, because now they're my oldest group. And so, you know, I'm really, I, I love helping teachers that especially are in that, that stage where they're just kind of unsure about that age, and to help them approach it like okay, first of all, like, you don't have to be scared. And this is how you can approach it where you don't feel that way. Mm. And and you feel like you can do it um, with these sort of ways of thinking or ways of approaching the, the musical content. So I'm helping teachers with that. I do have like a mini course in the works, but that will be coming much later in the fall. So Um, that's what's up. Um, I'm also starting to just locally run family music classes. That's something that's really important to me is um, that parent and caregiver education. So I'm hosting those in our community. And if you want to reach out, um, we have a website popupforplay.com. We have a newsletter and I'm always active on Facebook and Instagram. So, you can also reach out to pop up for play um, on those social media sites.
0: That's great. And on the website, and oh, firstly, we'll put that in the show notes so people know where to go. They're, that'll all be there. And that's fantastic to know. But... I was on your website just doing a bit of research for for this episode and I noticed that you sell music teacher specific aprons and I don't know if this is just my kind of Australian background or whatever but I'd never seen these before and (laughs) my wife's an art teacher I've seen her aprons for that art. and I was like oh for music okay that's cool um so if it's just my ignorance and I haven't seen this before and everyone's listening on Chris you should know about this already I'm sorry but aprons like so cool. And why might a music teacher wear an apron? And yeah, how did you come up with this idea?
1: Uh, So it's not really my original idea, for sure. I mean, like you said, I mean, there's art teachers that definitely need to have them. Um, And then a couple of years ago, I noticed that was cropping up, um, especially in the US, this idea of like teacher aprons and kind of having everything at your disposal. Um, so my mom is a seamstress. She's been a seamstress my entire life. Um, so I kind of asked her like, you know, what, what do you think if we kind of created, you know, this style, you know, could you think of some, you know, I had kind of a vision of like what I wanted and, um, you know, she had the perfect pattern for it. And so we just worked together, um, to create some fun, Aprons with fabric that she already had. You know, that was really important to me is, you know, I don't want to go out and purchase new things, yeah. Um. kind of the sustainability piece, right? So, mm. you know, what could we use that you already have and kind of serve music teachers in this way? And uh, the response has been pretty good. I have people say to me like, oh, this is really great. You know, I had my finger puppet ready. I have my phone ready, um, especially for teachers who have to travel from room to room or they're, they go to different sites. You know, Sometimes you just don't have enough pockets, but you need those things right there. So I often have my egg shakers there or my tuning fork, I use a lot just for my own musicianship. Yeah, it's it's just great. It just keeps your hands free, um, especially for those lessons where you do need, a you know, a couple little things near you yep. to keep the flow, you know, and I'm always losing things if I'm like, okay, I set this puppet over there and these shakers here and that way I know at the beginning of the day, I have it all with me. So that's kind of the idea around it.
0: That's great. So on the website, you can check these aprons out there. They're nice. I'm definitely going to think about about getting one. (laughs) Um, I think they're really cool. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. We've covered quite a lot of ground in this conversation already. And I know people will be really enjoying sort of where we've gone with this because we haven't really had someone on the podcast yet that focuses on early childhood or early years as I've been referring to it we all have these different ways of um, expressing that but I wanted to touch on a couple more things and one of them being the international school context and how that might have influenced any changes to your pedagogy at all could you take us through any kind of exploration of that idea
1: I've learned just from teaching internationally I think before you know I come from uh, Texas with with a lot of my yeah you know, I've always just taught in Texas and you know when you get in your bubble you think well this is this is how you do things this is what everyone else is doing and you have a lot of support but I think what I've learned is when you move to a different place that there is no, one way to do things. I had never I had never like taught with so many people from New Zealand. I had never taught from so many people from Canada or from India or you know, all these different teachers coming together with their own sort of this is what I did, uh, you know, in my place, and now we're all coming together. And so it's something I really had to learn about myself and maybe unlearn to mm. use that that term, um, because that kind of came in, you know, we talk about, like, well, I'm from this place. I, I I call it the waving the flag, you know, like this is how we did it at my old school. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, I learned, like, don't say that, you know. Um, so, I think in the beginning that I struggled with that. I'm just going to be really honest. I, I I like to be transparent with my mistakes. And so what I've learned is that there's no one way. And I live in Dubai. So if you know anything about Dubai and the UAE, I mean, it changes minute by minute. The restaurant that you had been to and joined for like two years It's gone. There's another restaurant that's taken over. I mean, it's just boom, 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 boom. It changes so rapidly and you have to adapt and have to adapt so quickly. So I think I had to kind of get over this whole feeling of like, oh, we've done it this way for 20 years and this is the way that it's done, you know, and be okay with that and be okay to innovate and I'm not afraid to try new things anymore. Um, one thing that we had happen just recently, we the the UAE decided to institute like half day Fridays, and so, <laughs> you know, when you have a school schedule that that has to schedule around pre K through grade twelve. Yeah. And then you're told 2 days before winter break that this will be instituted on January 3rd or whatever the start of the school was. Yeah, this is like year and a half year and a half ago that this happened.
0: Yeah, I um, remember hearing about this.
1: Yes. And we were just like what? You know? <laughs> so that's how that's how quickly you have to adapt. I mean, these these sorts of ideas um are mentioned kind of last minute. And so that's now we have a different schedule. Um and that's just something we had to get used to. And again, it goes back to, you know, I struggle with that. Well that's that's not that's not okay. Like kids should be in school five days a week, not four and a half. And this really messes up my my whole schedule and you can't do anything about it. It's out of your control. And so you do the best with it that you have and now, on the flip side, there's some advantages to that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't get bogged down now. I don't call myself like, you know, I'm solely a Kodai teacher. Or I'm solely an Orff-Schulwerk teacher. Or, you know, I'm just, I'm a music teacher, you know, and I pull from lots of different ideas and resources and philosophies to kind of create my own. And that's going to evolve over time especially depending on the environment that I'm in, the culture, the context that I'm in, you know, we used to go to school probably until like December 21st until we have our winter break. Um, and now we get out much quicker. So, you know, it's just these sorts of changes that you have to kind of change your whole scope and sequence based on the calendar. And, uh, definitely makes you flexible and patient (laughs) Mm. giving up control you know
0: absolutely tina i think we're going to leave it there i think that's a really nice place to sort of end the conversation there's other questions that i have and i'm sure the community might have some more questions of you as well so we'll be sure to leave all this information i'm thinking about you know, even back to the book, The Squiggle, I want to go and check that out. And, (laughs) um, you know, the University of North Texas and what they're doing there. So we'll make sure that's all in the show notes so people can check that out. We'll obviously link to your website so people can get in touch with you if they want to do a workshop with you or see where you are and where you're delivering those workshops. I'm really looking forward to keeping in touch. And I think so will others that get to meet you and get to know you over the coming Months and years, so I just want to say thank you for your time, for your transparency. I mean, you even said it yourself, but <laughs> I really appreciate that, just sharing and and you know going quite deep on your experience. So, thank you so much for for your time and and what you had to share.
1: Oh, thank you. It was such a pleasure and privilege. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Teachers in International Schools podcast. Listen to other episodes by visiting MT iis.com or learn more about our community on facebook by simply searching for music teachers in international schools if you know someone who you think i should get on the podcast i'd love to hear from you you can find me at chris koelma.com c-h-r-i-s-k-o-e-l-m-a.com see you next time